My local coffee shop is my Penn State World Campus classroom, giving me the full Penn State experience online. It's home to thousands of students working together with faculty to advance our careers, change our careers, or finally earn our degree. My classroom is just like every Penn State classroom because it is getting me to where I want to be. Click on the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now, a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and a place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together we can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit penfed.org slash goldcard. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. On this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, Fox Sports soccer commentator John Strong joins us in the pod to discuss his rise to becoming America's voice for soccer. We discuss MLS and big topics in the league as the playoff push begins to heat up. Fox Sports reporter Alexi Lawless went on a rant about tattooed millionaires in the U.S. men's national team. Were his points valid? All this on this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Hello and welcome, Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast. I'm Steven Jodderand, the one and only Armanka Fies on the line with me. What's going on, bro? Nothing much, man. Missing the Cowboys game, but boy, we got a great show coming up today. Yes, ton of different issues. And uh, it's going to be an exciting show, but first, let's get to the main, main point of this show. Yes, Steven, let's jump right into it. Joining us right now is the Fox Sports Soccer Commentator, America's Voice for Soccer, John Strong. John, how are you doing today? I'm very well, gentlemen. Thank you for uh, for carving out some time for me. I appreciate oh, uh, actually, getting to have this chat be, with you. We should be thanking you for carving out some time to uh, chat with us. So you should be thanking my wife, who is basically the gatekeeper for all of this stuff. And if she <laughs> decided 30 minutes ago that this wasn't happening, then it was off. So you thank her... And uh, we're all just sort of living in her world. That's all good. Uh, well, thank you, Mrs. Strong. We uh, gratitude from uh, thank you, Mrs. Strong. It's yes, from Texas, we love you. Absolutely, uh, but John, I mean, I, I want to go to your roots because you're you're relatively really young in the, in broadcasting age. You, you've kind of just jumped straight up. But growing up, were you a a passionate soccer fan? What was soccer like? You know. It was you were growing up, you know, in your your early days. You would say MLS had just either began or wasn't even existing. Yeah, it sort of grew up around me. Um, you know, and the, the timing of things was interesting because I think obviously, you know, if I'm born, you know, five years earlier or five years later, how different things might have might have turned out. Because, you know, when I was first playing like organized soccer. So that would have been, what, kindergarten, first grade, something like that? I mean, we didn't really know what it was. It wasn't around us in the way that basketball was, because in the early 90s, it was all about the trailblazers here in Portland. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my dad is from Colorado. He's a lifelong Broncos fan. He raised me a, a fan. So you, you know football. And then soccer sort of starts to grow up around you. And one of my earliest memories, in fact, we had, it was the, the precursor, like those very early regional cable sports networks. So the channel that became Fox Sports Northwest and is now Root Sports Got was it. Prime Prime Sports. Mm -hmm. um, and we had it on cable. It's like the early, early 90s. And they would show, and it must have been like a two-day delay. 
but they would show games. I assume they were games from England. Um, and, and I didn't know who any of these teams were, I, but I would watch it because I, you know, I was playing soccer. I was soccer on TV I watched. But it confused me so much because they would go to commercial break and they would come back and the score was different. And that was so weird. Why would you keep playing during the commercial break? Now I realize now they inserted these breaks in, just they didn't care. They put them in randomly. But for me and my understanding as a very young kid of what sports were, you stopped the game to have a commercial break and then you came back and restarted. And, and it took me time to sort of, you know, figure these things out. But then it started happening really quickly. And, and you know, at a formative age, you've got the 94 World Cup, which was such a big deal. Mm-hmm, the launch of 96, mm-hmm. that was, I was, I was in fifth grade, basically, when, when MLS started. Um, you know, when I turned 13, I got a Nintendo 64 with the FIFA 98 Road to the World yeah. Cup. I played that game obsessively. <laughs> I mean, that was how, you know, and people forget, I, I actually, I will argue, the FIFA video games, I think, are a massively underrated. I agree 100%, John. Sports growth, right? Because. Absolutely. It, it, and, and now what it does is it basically it permeates the pop culture and you have athletes playing FIFA, you have these tournaments all around, it becomes another part of the sport in the same way as us watching on TV. But in those early days, that was how you learned it because the games weren't on that much. Um, you know, and so for me, that was how I learned who all these teams were and these players. And you know, you're starting to get bits of the internet. And you know, even before I was able to twist my parents' arm to get Fox Sports World, I would make time... Every Sunday afternoon, uh, Lionel Bienvenue would host the, the Premier League review show that Fox Sports World would put out mm. on the FSN affiliates. And it was a two-hour show every Sunday afternoon. It was sort of like match of the day. And, and you know, you would have a condensed main game and then highlights from the others and other yeah. new stuff. And it was this guy, Lionel Bienvenue, who was then became a, a local sports reporter in Denver. He's still in Denver working for, I think, the ABC affiliate or something like that. Um, you know, that was this early sort of icon of American soccer broadcasting and then everything just explodes from there. So it's, it's, that's one of the fun things is because I remember a time when it wasn't nearly as accessible as it is. I remember a time when I would get in arguments on the radio, just try to talk about it. You know, I would include a Kimber <laughs> score in, in my morning sports report, filling in on the, the big, you know, news talk station here in Portland when I was first out of school and I would get, you know, the sports director being like, yeah, don't talk about soccer in these places. No one cares. And and so particularly for Portland, it's, it becomes such a big deal locally, but even nationally, just to see how big a part of the pop culture the sport is now um, is really gratifying. Now, in, that, in saying that, you know, we're, we're talking right now during an NFL Sunday. And trust me, I experienced this firsthand yeah. when we're putting our games on Sunday afternoons on FS1. Man alive, when, when football hits college NFL – it's just a tidal wave that crushes everything. And so you get reminded in sort of a cynical way of just we got a long, long ways to go still. But then the day before when you've got 70,000 people yeah. in Atlanta, you've got 30,000 in Cincinnati, um, you know, the, the TV ratings, while small, continue to grow year over year. So those are the types of things you sort of hang your hat and go, OK, you, you know what? Whatever else, we're we're making good progress here, and it's and it's so far beyond what it was, you know, when it was just sort of scratching at the surface of trying to get any sort of soccer into your life when you were a kid. It it's crazy that you talk about like you growing up with somebody because when I was fourteen or thirteen or t- something like that, I would I be I got hooked on MLS watching NBC by watching Arlo White after Arlo left for the Premier League coverage. You came in, so I grew up watching you, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, so your rise to becoming, I would arguably say, America's voice for soccer, it, it's it's incredible. I mean, because what, like five, six years back, you were just at uh, Fox Sports uh, Northwest. How how's how's that rise like? Can you just talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a lot of lucky breaks. It's a lot of right place, right time. Um, <laughs> the, the the timing of the stuff is the number of times. I've been in a situation where a team or a network executive or someone is trying to find, you know, a sort of, we need a, a new young American voice. And I was sort yeah. of like the only option that they had. It happened, <laughs> at, it happened at NBC. It was helpful with the Timbers. I mean, all these things. Um, and you think about how, how things could have gone differently. I just recently, in fact, um, we, we celebrated a 10-year anniversary for the sports talk show that I sort of 
I, I wasn't ever the main host. I was the sidekick and like the the ran the board and did updates and stuff like that um, with one of my best friends. But we celebrated sort of ten years of launching the show, and it was funny to think back to ten years ago in the fall of two thousand seven when we launched this thing. And I had just that weekend. It was like my first legit away Timbers game. I got the chance to call at the Carolina Railhawks. It was an internet broadcast that the regular guy was. Wow. I was working that weekend, so he couldn't go. And then I'm launching the show, and then a few weeks after that, we I, I had fought and fought and fought with my host, who is a, so- a soccer skeptic, very much so, but has come around. His co-host at the time, an absolute soccer hater, but I love him anyway. And <laughs> Don Garber was coming into town. Don Garber was coming to Portland. Merritt Paulson had just bought the, the A-League Timbers and the AAA baseball team. The U.S. women had a game in Portland that night, and so Don Garber was in town, and so I was like, we got to get him on. This would be great, and this is like the first time I'm booking a guest, and it's our first soccer thing. I'm so excited. Well, very long story short, because there's a whole bunch of reasons why this happened. The host, John, hung up on Don Garber live on the air after basically fighting with him on the air for 10 minutes. Wow. Like, it's not going to make it here. (laughs) What good is it for the city? What kind of tax money? I mean, all this stuff, just an antagonistic interview. And then he hangs up on him live on the air. And then I go to the, the, the game afterwards, and it's like everyone in the press box is looking like, hey, kid, thanks for ruining soccer in Portland. And that's how I felt at the time. Like, I had just wow. blown it for the entire city. And now, of course, things have turned out a little better. And I haven't got the I, – I actually saw Don the other week, but I, I always – I haven't been able to bring that up in the year since. <laughs> Do you remember when you got hung up on live? That was my fault. So <laughs> it, it is fun to think back to how quickly – things have evolved and and all you ever try to do is just take advantage you know when a door is open you just try to run through it you lower your shoulder you work as hard as you can you try to be as good a teammate as possible you try to constantly learn never act like you got it figured out and, and even now i mean I, listen i haven't made anything I've, I've been presented with some wonderful opportunities but at the end of the day this is still sort of show business you know it's still yeah. hollywood type stuff it can be mm-hmm. taken away from you and so my mm-hmm. mentality and it's not it's not false modesty. It's actually my mentality is I got to be good every time I go out there and I got to make sure I continue to be good as we approach the World Cup. I got to make sure I'm good at the World Cup because if I stink, they're not going to give that to me again. You know what I mean? Sure. These are always situations where you oftentimes get sort of not not that your bosses say I'm only giving you one shot, but people change their mind easily. And, and absolutely when it's something something as subjective as the sound of an announcer's voice. It's sort of like music or movies. It, it just depends on the person listening, whether they like it or not. And so I'm always in that mode of, you know, have to constantly sort of continue to prove that I can do this because, yeah, I don't, being young and being American I ha- and not being a well-known voice from another sport, Yeah, I don't fit any of the templates that have come before for sort of a lead soccer announcer for for american television so it's that constant thing of an, until i don't know when i get to a feeling where okay maybe i'm i'm set here i'm always in that mindset of of having to make sure every single time it, where it's an mls game bundesliga champions league whatever that i'm putting out my best work so that i continue to sort of you know make sure everyone that that's above me is like, okay this is the guy we still want to have here now you you've kind of like you know you've made you've kind of done what soccer has done here. It's just grown, you know. People said no has no chance, and it, you just continue to climb the ladder. Now, do you see soccer really and MLS really you know being alongside the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, and the MLB as America's sports leagues, or will it always be the fifth? I actually think it's a really, really interesting conversation. I don't have the answers. I don't know the answers. And But it's a fascinating subject to think about because I think on the one hand, the biggest mistake that people tend to make when they have these types of conversations, particularly those people who are not as inclined to like soccer in the first place, is they sort of forget their own history of American sports. The NFL was not always the big thing that it was. The The NBA was not always the big thing that it right. was. The, these these sports leagues change hugely yeah. as the market changes around. The anecdote I always like to share is before I was born, the sort of the, the big moment in Portland sports history was the Trailblazers winning the 1977 NBA championship. Bill Walton was, was the star of that team. They beat Julius Irving in the Philadelphia 76ers. Well, game six 
of the 77 finals. And again, Bill Walton versus Julius Irving, these are two big stars, even though, you know, it was it was Portland in the 70s was even a much smaller town than it is now. If you go back and you watch the broadcast, first of all, the game tipped off at noon local time. CBS wanted to tip the game off at 11 because they wanted it done before they would go to coverage of the Kemper Open golf tournament. And in fact, wow. if you listen to the old, the, the broad, it was Brett Musburger calling the game for CBS. The fourth quarter of the deciding game of the NBA Finals, 40 years ago, all throughout the fourth quarter, hey, reminder, stay tuned after this. The Kemper Open, live golf from like Milwaukee or whatever, make sure to stay tuned after this. And they went. That game ended. They were off the air within 90 seconds. No wow. trophy celebration, no nothing. The golf, because at that time, even to have a live game on, they would oftentimes tape delay games. So they put it on very late at night. You know, that's how much basketball grew very quickly through the 80s and then through the 90s. And, and it's even had a resurgence in the last couple of years. Same mm-hmm. sort of story for the NFL. I mean, the reason why Monday Night Football was on ABC was because NBC and CBS both said there's no chance this thing is going to make it. There's no chance people are going to watch the NFL <laughs> as, as opposed to the regular Monday night programming. This thing's going to fail and die. And yeah. even then, the league was sort of like, ah, do we go to ABC? Do we just scrap the whole thing? And they end up doing it, and obviously it becomes a cultural phenomenon. So I, I don't know the answers. I do think that there are some incredible demographic things going yeah, on. The, the fact that and, and different always, I always think the misnomer was to say that because X million American kids are playing soccer, they're going to be fans as adults. It doesn't, if, if there was a direct correlation between youth participation and being a fan as an adult, we'd be watching the, the tetherball world championship on ESPN <laughs> too. There's a difference there. You, you have to grow up as a fan. It's a significant difference. And the fact that you've got all these studies saying like 12 to 16 year olds, that soccer is their second favorite sport to be a fan of, never mind participation. That's the type of stuff that's really encouraging and really exciting. And I see it even around Portland. I see kids wearing timber yeah. stuff. I see mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, how think about it. The next time you're out and about in a public setting, I, and I still do this, I always keep track of people I see wearing soccer stuff, hats, shirts, whatever. And I compare to my head to, am I seeing baseball hats? Am I seeing football no. team t-shirts? What else am I seeing here? And so those are the types of things, and it might take 10, 20, 30 more years to really see the, the, it all come to fruition. But that is the type of stuff that really encourages me. Where it ends up in 30 years compared to the NFL, or who knows? And I, I don't think you'll ever, it'll never be the sort of hegemonic dominant thing here that it is other places, probably because this country is too darn big. And we got so much else going on. But I also think that it's going to continue to hold its own weight in a significant way. The, the trick is making sure that the actual uh, fruits of the labor, I guess, to use a terrible hackneyed phrase, catches up a little bit with everyone's expectation. And, and yeah. TV ratings are a big part of that. Yeah. The, the TV ratings need to increase quicker than they are so that you don't get to an increasing gap where... TV network executives or advertisers, whoever, are going like, hey, th- th- then it does get that men and blazers joke of being the sport of the future since the 1970s. It <laughs> needs to actually start to, to you know, have an impact and, and grow in a, in a faster way than it has been. But for saying all that, what an incredible time to be a soccer fan in America, particularly for someone even of my age who remembers a time when it was just not anywhere close to this. Yeah, it's definitely changed. Yes. Definitely something has changed. And I know one thing that's changed a lot is are like the atmospheres of specifically oh, yeah. MLS games. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's, 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 it's brilliant to see how much they've grown. Now, outside of Portland, John, what's your favorite MLS atmosphere that, you, that you've seen? Well, I tell you what, Atlanta's pretty amazing. Um, you know, and watching on TV with the 70,000 they had against Orlando, I, I watched bits of that. Uh, I was living a very suburban Saturday of like Home Depot and Costco. Because <laughs> um, I'm actually home with this we- home for a weekend. But the week before when we were there for the game against Dallas, it was even 40, 45,000. And it felt like so much more. It was so incredible. So as I said on air, Atlanta, you're going to be seeing a lot of Atlanta on national TV. Because I guarantee you both us oh, and ESPN, yeah. on, on the assumption the ratings data comes back and shows that you know the buzz has turned into people tuning in. We're going to go there a lot next year. Seattle, same sort of thing. And I'm and I'm watching a Seahawks game right now, and it sort of cracks me up because I go to the stadium so often uh, to, for Sounders games. 
um, to be able to pull in 40, 50, 60,000 on a regular basis is incredible. We're going to be in Kansas City next weekend. I love that stadium in, in large part because of you think about what it was and how quick, how close. Oh, yeah. Shutting the whole mm-hmm. thing down and, and moving the team. And they really were very close to that, to, to what it is now. Um, you're getting a lot of really good places right now. And that's so exciting. Orlando's another one. I'm trying to rack my brain. Orlando's amazing what they have been able to build to build in a short amount of time. Um, and, and I do think that's important. I do think that, you know, Major League Soccer, whatever challenges they continue to have nationally from a TV rating standpoint, they're winning at the box office. They're winning in a stadium attendance standpoint. Not everywhere. And there are still Not some everywhere. places in do, mm-hmm. they, they do tend to be the original teams, and that that's a much larger discussion as to why, and it's not something that the people involved in those teams are, are ignorant to, and I have those conversations with them as we cross paths at different times. But generally speaking, you've got so many places now, and it's fun because that is a huge influence on where we go. I, and, and listen, it's not to say, and I'll pick on Dallas only because I love them. Dallas is amazing. <laughs> Listen, what FC Dallas is, what Oscar Preha has built, the investment they've made in the academy, the success that they've had over the last three years, whatever challenges they're going through right now, what a wonderful team, what an enjoyable team, uh, the, the personalities, guys in the field, easy to root for. But the fact of the matter is when you're flipping through television, you're much less likely to stay and watch a game when the stands are empty. That's just the reality of it. It's The, the NFL is very aware of that, and the NFL is getting freaked out right now by some of these stadiums that aren't full. And so that's going to influence it. We're always going to want to put games on national TV that are in the best atmospheres so that as you're flipping through and you hear that and you see that, you stay. You stay there and you want to watch that. We all do that. I mean, college football is the same sort of a thing. We're going to be much more inclined to watch a game if the atmosphere is going crazy than if it's not. So those are the types of things that it's still sort of a battle on the local level. Um, for MLS, the individual market. Some are winning, some aren't, before we get into winning from a more national standpoint. But I love that there are so many stadiums now, and I'm really excited to see what LAFC does next year. Oh, so are Where we. we can go, and you're, and you're pretty much guaranteed a, a full stadium and a good atmosphere. That And that that's so much more fun for us than being in a half-empty stadium. I, I love you, John, for, for what you just <laughs> said about FC Dallas. I, lo- I love you. I'll be honest. I, love, I go to the stadium week in and week out, and it, it, it's ups, It's it's kind of sad when uh, when you're you're in the front and they the, they announce the attendance numbers and you look out there and you see they don't correlate at all. No, I mean and, and, and listen, it's not it's not piling on. It's not trying to be you know. And there was an article. I've I've seen a couple articles, in fact, and I and I I had a conversation with, and I won't say the team. It was a, it was another MLS original team that has struggled with attendance, and I had a chat with their team president. Uh, at the all-star game and it's that same sort of thing like you're saying it with sympathy we want you to succeed we want everyone to succeed but at a certain point it's like you got to find a way because in in atlanta and in orlando and in kansas city they're getting these big crowds it's you know in much smaller cities like portland you see what happens so how do we get it to work in a bigger city with a much larger population base to draw from where you know, the law of averages would say you got more fans. And sometimes that's that's a harder thing when you're in a bigger city. You get lost in the conversation. That's sure. certainly true in Denver. I think it's challenges the Rapids are always going to have. It, even the Nuggets struggle for relevance yeah. because the Broncos mm-hmm. dominate everything. But, um, you know, that's the big thing we all want is we want these stadiums to be filled. And we want to be able to go mm-hmm. different places. But but it, it is. It's, it's hard it's hard to still see those types of challenges in 2017, particularly when you're so easily contrasted with other cities where it is working so well. No, I mean, John, you are honestly saying everything that Armand and I have been talking about on and off the <laughs> mic because it's watching and growing up in Dallas and watching FC Dallas. It was like you went to the games because you loved the sport, but you look around and people are on their phones and you're just like, ah, you're, you're itching for that 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 uh, that culture that you see in in Seattle, Portland, Orlando, now Atlanta, Atlanta now. you know you you're seeing that and you're like oh, I'm going to this game why do I want to go to this game and if you can't be part of that soccer culture I think it's it's really hard but I want to ask you you called the Champions League final last year How, what is that like you know uh <laughs> would you have ever imagined that doing doing that 5 years ago well yeah I know it's it's amazing to think about because we just had 
you know, match day one um, of the group stage, and they showed a couple of the highlights of the Champions League final, and it felt like years ago to me because we'd done so much this summer between what June the third in Cardiff um, and and where we are now in September, and you know, it, it's it is surreal to think about because it was. I would say that's that's one of my like key bucket list things. Had you asked yeah. me, yeah, five years ago. What what those a specific list of things you want to do in your life? Call a Champions League final was absolutely one of them, and I got a small taste of it actually in 2013, my first year with Fox. Um, that was the the Bayern Munich Borussia Dortmund final at Wembley. And they actually brought me along as as like a sideline reporter, and I hosted some preview stuff just to sort of be there for the experience, and it was absolutely incredible. So to now a couple years down the road, actually get that chance. Um, it, it was mind-blowing, and the fact that it was a really good final, the fact that it had an, one incredible goal in particular. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. It, it's, it's, it almost it sounds very surreal to talk about it because it does feel like forever ago, and, and, and we had so much happen between now and then, but to get that chance, and then you know, we'll see what happens this coming season. I mean, it, it's our last season with the Rise on Fox, which is devastating, to so many people that that have put so much in, I don't think people realize just how much you know man, manpower, women power it takes mm-hmm. to put the league on every day. Because we're putting on, it's not like we're just dumping these games with a, with a, a pre-produced world feed onto an online stream. That you just write code and that you do that. I mean, this is a full TV production that we're doing for multiple games each day, plus the multi-match 90, which I got the chance to host in, in its first season as we were getting it off the ground a couple years ago. So it, it's going to be tough this year for everyone, you know, to make sure that we're still, I think that's the motivation, it'll really go out on a high, because you don't know if you're going to get it back. I mean, that's the other part of it. I, I, I got the chance last year, hopefully I'm getting the chance again this coming season, and you don't know if you're going to get it again. So that's sort of like I said earlier, the mentality is always enjoy it, make the most of it. Don't assume that it's going to be around forever. But yeah, to get to, to you know, spend a week in Madrid, do the two legs of the semifinal, oh, yeah, go to right. Cardiff, which is actually sort of a neat, Cardiff was actually sort of a neat little town. I, I, I enjoyed it there, you know, and get to experience a little taste of that, of Madrid fans and Juventus fans on the streets of <laughs> Cardiff and, um, you know, all that stuff. Knowing that we were a couple days away from going down to the Azteca for a qualifier and then Russia <laughs> after that, the whole, the whole sequence was just insane. So yeah, I... insane. Again, and that, that's the thing. Whether or not I get to do this for, for 40 years or two years, the, the fact that I've been able to accumulate some of these memories and experiences is just mind-blowing. Oh, absolutely. Well, absolutely, absolutely, John. I'm, 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 I'm jealous. Yeah, I can tell you that. But was that your favorite game to uh, call, or was it something else? Like ever? Favorite game ever to call? Ever. Yeah, ever. ever. No, I, it, it was pretty cool. I think... It, that game was a little was stressful for me to be honest, just because I was I was I'm still getting better at not letting the stress get to me. Like I still have a little bit of insecurity. I still have a little bit of that. Okay, kid, don't blow it. Um, <laughs> oh so, man, you're the I, voice of American soccer. I know. But I still <laughs> I let the sort of stresses and insecurities get to me. So sometimes I don't I don't. I, what I will say is this: I think the the two games that do stand out to me most are. Last year's second leg of the Eastern Conference Championship, which was that Toronto Montreal. Oh my gosh! Time set five. I mean, the whole building was shaking. That that game. I don't think I've ever had a game that had so many dramatic swings back and forth. Where twice in the game we were dead on sure Montreal had this one, and then Toronto came back. So that one was really special. And honestly, one of the other games that will always stand out to me and both be so special to me was 2009 when Portland and Seattle played in the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, and I caught to call the game on radio because Andy, who was the voice of the, of the Timbers at that time, was calling it on TV. That was the first time I actually called a game on like the real radio where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a big game. Like People are paying attention. And it was this incredible taste of, you know, I finally made it. This is big-time broadcasting. And, of course, you think back now, you know, it was much smaller stakes than some of the stuff I get to do. But I think that's why it always stands out because that was – you know, for me in that moment, oh my God, I can't believe I'm getting to do this. And I think it's important to always have that mentality so that as you're doing the other things, you sort of, like I said earlier, remember where you came from, remember when it was less glamorous. So that's the one, and that was the one where we had this whole buildup. It's a sold-out game. The entire city was buzzing. It was the first time it ever happened for a Timbers game. And then Roger Levesque scores 48 seconds in and takes the wind out of the entire stadium. <laughs> and the Timbers 
covered, and it sort of built the Vex legend, and it's one of the stories I like to tell when I do these Portland Seattle games naturally, uh, nationally. So those are the two that I think stand out the most from from just a the game itself being yeah. incredible standpoint. But I do think I think the only thing working against that Champions League final, as I said, is just because there was so much going on at that time. It was like every three days I was doing a game on a different continent. It, it was craziness at that time. So it, it, that stretch a little bit sort of gets muddied in my brain, at least for now. I think maybe down the road a couple of years as I go back, because I, I, I mean, even in fact now, I'm looking right to my right of my office and I have on a pile of credentials from this summer, I have my credential <laughs> from that champion. So those types of memories, I think I've got the game program. Yeah. And to my left, I've got a game program and a scarf. That so is awesome. those are the memories and things. Once I ever get my act together to clean up my office and actually put some of this stuff up. I've been able to accumulate some really neat memorabilia from this stuff. That, that is fantastic. All right, I got to ask you that one last sick, man. One last question here before we let you go, and uh, we appreciate the time. Is I Absolutely. one of my f- favorite commentators in the world of U.S. soccer is Alexi Lawless. He, <laughs> he speaks to, he speaks to a segment of soccer fans that are happy to have a voice out there like him to to just be somebody different. But what's it like working with him? And it's and what do you what do you have to say about his comments on uh, you know the the rant that went viral? I'm actually amazed you saved this till the end. I was expecting this to be the lead question right now. <laughs> um, you know it, what's interesting. So I mentioned earlier the the ten year anniversary of the radio show I used to do in Portland, and the host of that show his name is John Canzano. He's a big sports columnist in Portland. He's been the yeah. radio host. They're both very very similar in that because they not just that they give opinions but they're very good at how they present their opinions mm-hmm. they're very good at, at having a journalist mentality wanting to tell the story but so they end up getting these armies of people that just despise them yeah. they're, they're so hated <laughs> as much as they love both of them in very similar ways and very similarly as i've gone to work with each of them you get a lot of that oh my god how can you possibly work with them he's the biggest a-hole in the world it just must be terrible. It's like, no, actually, they're both like the nicest guys ever. I mean, and that's, you know, Alexi, not to say that anything he says is particularly disingenuous, but he is playing a character on television different to the type of wonderful guy he is, you know, in real life. In fact, my my son calls him Uncle Alexi because every time, <laughs> a couple times a year, when uh-huh. they, when, you know, they see each other. My son's a redhead, too. And so he loves Alexi <laughs> and they get along and they play. So. You know, there is a disconnect between, I think, the version of Alexi people have in their minds or on their TV screens or their Twitter feeds as this sort of caustic, antagonistic um, guy, which he sort of is, too. Now, specific to that to that rant, I, if anything, I'm jealous I wasn't there with him because I do love <laughs> the moments when he's going off, and I'm just trying to keep that straight face and think in my head, how can I play this at the end to, to, you know, not steal his thunder, but also sort of add some little fun thing. And as it happened, I'm, I'm, I'm flying home from Atlanta and I start seeing texts and messages from people like, Oh man, Oh man, Alexi. I'm like, well, give where's I tweeted that out. Like, I got to find the video now to watch it. Listen, it, it's, it's, there's two things of it specific to the players. I, I, you know, I think the players need to be told that it wasn't good enough in those two qualifiers. It's not like the players need to be told what a, a disaster it would be to miss the World Cup. They know all these things. And if anything, some of those players, they do thrive on that type of stuff. A couple of those guys, as a lot of big-time pro athletes are, anytime a, a pro athlete says, I don't watch, I don't listen, I don't read, they're lying. Because even if they don't do it themselves, they're getting told by someone else. Right. What, they always know what's been said. And, and, and a lot of athletes thrive on that chip on the shoulder, whether it's sort of manufactured or not. And, and some guys, it's an immediate, constant fire burning. Some guys, and Michael Bradley's like this, and I'm a huge Michael Bradley fan. He, he, it's almost like he has a library in his mind, and he'll just, he won't react. He'll just put in a book, he'll put the book on the shelf, and then a few months later, he'll just pull <laughs> it, very calmly pull the book off the shelf. He and Alexi had a wonderful conversation last fall before one of our MLS games about some of the things Alexi had been saying at the Copa America. So, you know, the guys do sort of thrive on that type of stuff. It's not like, you know, he's causing a problem in that regard. And as far as the other piece of it, which I, I thought Greg Vanny's comments um, were actually right. I mean, to a certain extent, there is a theatricality to it. That's sort of the point, because one of the effects that it has, I, I think it, for a lot of fans, it sort of gives voice to their frustrations. 
which is never a bad thing. I mean, but also it kept it in the conversation. I got to be honest. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, you can go too far and yeah, you can, you can, you know, manufacture embracing debate in, in sort of a ridiculous way. But if the, if the net effect is we're talking about the national team, it was on outside the lines. It was on some of the shows on FS1. It was all over the internet. Like that's not a bad thing necessarily. So, nope. You know, it's easy to jump on it, and, and obviously the players will come back and chirp back, and they're well within their rights. And you know what? If if that's part of Christian Pulisic evolving as a young player, is in his mind he's going to be like, you know, this, you know, bleepity bleep bleep Alexi Lawless, I'm going to show him. <laughs> Good. I'm all for that. Like, like the, you know, that that's great. So I, I, I loved every bit of it. The reaction's been fun to see. At the end of the day, we're all in this together. We're all rooting for the same thing which is for the U.S. To, to get the wins they need in a couple of weeks, get to the World Cup, and hopefully have a wonderful World Cup. And there's always a journey that comes along with it. And it's never entirely easy. It's never straightforward. It, it, this is more nerve-wracking than it has been since the qualifiers for 2002. Absolutely. When, like right now, the U.S. was actually on the outside looking in with two games to go and then got amazing breaks their way. So, you know, some of it is history repeating itself. But again, you, every time we go into one of these things, there are new fans. There are whether fans that are just grew up soccer people that are old enough now, whether fans who have become soccer fans as adults. And so, you, you know, I thought Michael Bradley's comment after the games in November was great. Everyone shows up for the World Cup. No one realizes we have to qualify and how hard that is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. this is really, you know, get, creating a new sense of awareness of how hard this stuff is, that's a good thing. And maybe we come into the next sequence of qualifiers and, and the, the the audiences are bigger and people more into it because they remember, holy smokes, this was really hard. So, you know, I, I loved every bit of it. I'm, I'm hopeful for a good reaction from the players in October. And if it means that I get to observe some some sort of hilarious conversations between Alexi and some of the players over the next few weeks, then uh, then all the better for it. Uh, yeah, John, I just wanted to thank you for coming on the show. It, it was fantastic talking to you about your experiences and uh, some of the things that are going on in the U.S. soccer today. I know Steven's really appreciative, too. Um, Absolutely. It was yes. a fantastic show. Thank you so much for joining us on the show, John. Absolutely. I, I love talking about this stuff. And, and, you know, in the absence of having a talk show of my own, this is one of my outlets. So I always enjoy it. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on and chatting with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. And John. You want to take this, Stephen? The shameless plug. Shameless plug. Where can we find you on Twitter? I'm sure the the listeners should already know where to find you, but just for those, who <laughs> I, are... I provide I provide nothing of value on Twitter, and I'm very proud of that. But if you do want to be there uh, and look at pictures of empty stadiums, which I like to post, those at are John awesome. Strong, we we kicked off a guy uh, in Philadelphia, I think it was, who was squatting on that for like four years, and uh, we were able to kick him off and and get to that one. So at John Strong on Twitter. Uh, join us every week for uh, for MLS on FS1 because we need everyone we can get, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll hopefully keep uh, keep doing this thing for a while more. Absolutely, thanks again, John. You bet, guys. The voice of American soccer was just on. Man, what a fascinating guy! What a fascinating career. Traveled. A lot of places, as 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 uh, you heard him travel from you know Wales to Azteca to Russia. I mean, talk about three locations in a couple of weeks. It's insane. It's 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 insane to talk to him. It's insane because, like, like I said in the interview I, or the discussion we had, I listened to this guy while I was just learning about MLS. Well, not just learning, but just starting to watch MLS on TV. So to talk to the guy about his career and whatnot. It's pretty awesome. It's 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 really awesome. But Stephen, we gotta move on. Yes, we gotta talk some MLS now. MLS. These are gonna be hot takes from MLS. We got a short ten minute segment here. Uh, we're going to have a little whistle to keep us on track. Somebody asks, somebody answers. Let's get to it. Armand, you're up. Alrighty. So Diego Valeri just scored in his eighth straight match. That that says an MLS record. You think it's a big deal, Stephen? Uh, Jamie Vardy did this a couple years ago where he set the record. It's a nice record to hold, but eh, I, it's, it's it's a cool record to have, and I think it's a very difficult record to have. And it, eight games is no by no means you know sh- a short amount of time. I mean, the record in the Premier League is I think it's eleven. So it's yeah, it, I mean it's an impressive feat. 
Don't get me wrong, but eh, the, to me, I'm not, you know, impressed to the point where it's like some crazy stat. All right, moving on. Armand, Vancouver, Vancouver drew Columbus two two. <laughs> Sporting KC rallied uh, to win three to one over New England. San Jose beat Houston one nil, and then Seattle uh, had a dual draw against in Dallas zero zero. Who's the best in the West? Man, that's such a tough question. The West is so tight. I mean, the top four teams are separated by one point. Uh, Vancouver, 45. Portland, 44. Sporting, 44. Uh, Seattle, 44. Yeah. It's insane. Um, looking at that right now, I would say the best team in the West, in my opinion, I really like the what Portland's been doing. Um, I really like the way they've been playing um, overall throughout the season. I think they're the best balance. But I think whoever makes out of the West is going to either get – Destroyed by someone in the East or pull from miraculous upset. I, they're going to be the underdog for sure in MLS Cup. What's crazy? I I know we have to move on, but Houston and Dallas are outside looking in when it comes to the playoffs. And just a couple of weeks ago, when they were playing, uh, you know, the Texas Derby, everybody was like, "Oh, this could be a preview of you know Western Conference final." Now they're looking outside in. That that's crazy enough for MLS. But we're moving on. Yeah, we're moving on. So. uh on Saturday, I had the privilege. I know Stephen probably tuned in a little bit too to watch the three-three uh, draw with uh-huh. Orlando and Atlanta with seventy thousand uh, people in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Beautiful stadium, beautiful setup. It's amazing. What does that crowd say about soccer? I mean, people were doubting Atlanta as an MLS franchise. Now they're selling out the football stadium. Uh, what it says about American soccer is watch out the NFL and all those. All those clubs who have crappy stadiums, you can get it right by building a really nice stadium in the right location. But if you're screwed yourself like Dallas, you could really fall off a pedestal when it comes to marketing. Just like John uh, explained that, you know, what does Fox Sports and ESPN looks for? They want to host, uh, they want their broadcast to be at the most electrifying games. Dallas has that and doesn't have that, regardless of how good they've been the last two years. It's easy to pick on Dallas, but they've also been good. Think about Colorado last year. They were pretty damn good. What type of atmosphere did they have? It was rather flat. Were there a lot of games broadcast out of Colorado? No, but that's the that's the thing that you uh, you get. And with 70,000 people showing up the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, it means soccer is here, and we, we shouldn't have to start always – Defend that soccer is on the up. It's here. Seventy thousand people showed up. That's probably more than some of these NFL games that have gone on today. Definitely the one, uh, the one uh, at Charger Stadium or StubHub Center, the MLS Stadium they're playing in. Yeah, <laughs> kind of funny to see. Yeah, it's interesting. All right, moving on. Armand, Detroit is to uh, is to make its case for a franchise at a presentation to MLS Commissioner Don Garber and league officials next month. Talking to the Detroit Free Press, um, I completely forgot to put the name in. Uh, I think the president of the Detroit bid, uh, there is a real desire for MLS to develop players from the inner cities as they try to broaden their game and made it more diverse in the state. He continued to say that, you know, soccer culture is emerging with the young fan base in Detroit. Thoughts? As I look up the name of the guy, yeah, yeah. Um, looking into it, I mean, what they wanted to do is, uh, if I remember correctly, they wanted to knock down and uh, create a stadium, which I think would provide positive economic impact for the area. Uh, will they? Um, I guess will they get a bid? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they did get a bid. I mean, Alexi Lawless thinks they'll get a bid, but right now on my short list, I, I for right now at least, I have Sacramento. Uh, Cincinnati, Miami's obviously going to come in. Um, and, I mean, the, I guess the other two spots are up for grabs, really. I mean, Detroit could have a good case for it. I mean, if you've seen Detroit City FC and their MPSL team slowly going professional, yeah. their fan base is incredible what they, what they do there in like sure. a 7,000-feet uh, uh, stadium. So, I mean, I mean, the culture is there. Don't get me wrong. It's just, is it the right fit for MLS? And will they expand there? We'll see shortly. We'll see, and uh, those comments were made by Detroit Pistons Vice Chairman Arm Tellum. So uh, he is one of those, uh, you know, city leaders, one of the, uh, you know, the club's leader to to really get this franchise 
to Detroit. I, it could be really interesting because Detroit uh, has a rich sporting culture. But uh, moving on. Yeah, moving on. So last night we saw Toronto actually destroy the Galaxy 4-0, and they're on fire right now. Have 62 points, and they're six off the league record set by the Galaxy with five left to play. So will they set that league record? I mean, they're basically going to win the Supporters' Shield, so I'm going to ask you that. Will they set that league record, and how far do you think they'll go in the playoffs? Oh, that's a good question. They'll definitely break the record because they're six points, five games. I mean, they could draw every game. You just need to win one, you know what I'm saying? So it's I need to look at their schedule, but they should break it. If they don't break it, I think it would be kind of a uh, an embarrassment to to their season. Why not go out there and make a huge statement? I think they can win the MLS Cup because they were there last year. You know, they do have that mm-hmm. mentality. They do understand that MLS playoffs is a completely different style. It's tournament football, I like to say. It is grinding out results. It's not how pretty you are. It's not about how many goals you score. It's just about moving on. You know, if Absolutely. You, survive in advance. Survive in advance. And, and, and it does bring out some boring, boring games. LA, Colorado last year, but it also brings out some fascinating, fun games. Uh, Toronto, Montreal. I think that that is one of the all-time playoff series in MLS that everybody will be I talking. I still, on. I still, I still. I'm gonna tell you this right now. I do rewatch highlights in that game. Do you really? I do because I just want to be reminded of the atmosphere and how so great it was, man. It was. A, I think it was a Wednesday night. The game was going on. Sitting in my living room watching it. I was just yelling every five seconds because some yeah, yeah. stuff was just going on. It's, it's, oh God, what, a, what a great game. I remember I was at a bar watching that game. And it was, <laughs> we, we flipped it on the tiny television in the corner. Uh, my buddy and I, Matt, were, were watching it and, and we're just like, we couldn't believe the amount of goals were going in and how often people were scoring and how often the, the aggregate was changing and, and possibilities. It was just absolutely insane all right moving on Um, to our final question according to reports this is a really interesting case uh, mls ceased paying san jose earthquake defender marwell wayne in july after three months uh for for about three months after he's been uh going through heart surgery going through going through a heart surgery that could be a career ending. It put him out for the season. But he he's a 12-year veteran. He just signed a new 2-year contract. And what's mm-hmm. weird is MLS is this weird system where the contracts go through MLS. And it's not San Jose who controls it. But because that he failed a uh um a medical through the league, he therefore cannot play and they I guess there's there's a rule in place that can terminate the contract but he was apparently cleared by a specialist outside of mls so it's really weird on how this is unfolding i want you what are your thoughts on it what should mls do what should we do about it as a, you know the players union and all that stuff this could be one of those things people talk about i mean this guy's played in mls for 12 years i mean the least they could do is um I guess, I mean, honor his contract of yeah. sorts, maybe potentially, or give him some compensation. I mean, you're going through a hard surgery. Uh, just the moral side of me, uh, moral side that I would take. I mean, this guy's been a veteran. Uh, and he's not making honestly, big money. And he's not making insanely big money. I'm pretty sure this is not too much to the league. And I'll be honest with you, you as you know, John mentioned FIFA. Why a lot of people know MLS? Because Morava wins one of the better center backs in FIFA Ultimate Team. I mean, like... The guy, he hasn't been he hasn't been that good recently, but he's still an MLS player. I think you should take care of him, set an example, and um, figure out some type of compensation or something. I think it's a. I don't think it would be right just to uh Yeah, just just nothing. pay Marvel win. Like it's do it. He's going through heart surgery. I mean, it's one thing you know if he was arrested for other things or something like that, or you know I don't know. But it's heart surgery. Come on. It's and, exactly. and and how big MLS is. This is pennies. It's it's a little petty from uh, Major League Soccer. I get the that they have you know the legal jurisdiction. Blah blah blah. But come on now, you know it's kind of those. Come on, man. But yeah, <laughs> MLS. We will definitely be talking more MLS as we get closer to the playoffs. Absolutely, man. Up next, Alexi Lawless goes nuts. 
What are our (laughs) thoughts? Lexi Lalas, as I said, he's one of my favorite soccer commentators there is in uh, America. Along with John Strong, I think he he genuinely gets the game and genuinely has a passion that you can you get you get a feel. And, and, he, and he's he's an American original, you know. So it's like he represents us at the, at the at, you know the Champions League and all these things. But Alexi Lalas. Caused a firestorm on Twitter, Facebook, Woo! and it was Woo! epic. He called out Woo! everybody. It was wow. He everybody. He called out Tim Howard, saying, "Tim, before I start, I, I, as much as I would love to play the audio, I do not know about copyright issues, so I'm not going to. But uh, Timmy, he calls out Tim, saying the Belgian game ended three years ago. We need you to save the ball now. Jeff Cameron, clean it up." Or let's get someone else to do so. Clint Dempsey, you're a national team legend. Now you need to be a national team leader. Michael Bradley, the U.S. does not need you to be zen. The U.S. needs you to play better. Josie Altador, this is really as good as it gets because it's not good enough. Bruce Arena, Jurgen Klinsmann lost at Mexico. Or at home to Mexico. You lost at home to Costa Rica. This is all on you and not on Jurgen. And then Christian Pulisic. To all the guys that I didn't mention, it's because you didn't even mean a warrant a mention. That includes you, Wonder Boy. And then he goes on talking about, you know, tattooed millionaires, the soccer generation. Uh, you don't owe it to yourselves, you owe it to us. Which I think is a huge statement. And I believe Absolutely. I believe he spoke to a lot of uh, of American fans. That just didn't get it. What were your initial thoughts, Armand, when you got this? And is and it, what? Is, how is this so important? Why are we talking about this? Because soccer, I thought, wasn't really important in the mainstream media. It's because it's Alexi Lawless, and the way he came out was just fire, kind of just fiery rhetoric of sorts. And um, when it comes to the national team, everyone cares about the national team. Let's be honest here. Everyone cares if the uh, national team struggles because it's an America thing. When you go to bars to watch World Cup games, everyone's in the United States. That's the only time, only time, where most of the population actually genuinely cares about soccer and whatnot. So, I mean, this, I mean, it's a big deal also because social media. I mean, when they posted it went viral like that, I say without social media, it'd be nothing. Like, I feel like not that many people would see it. But, I mean, it's just a fiery speech. It's uh, it, it, it has passion. I think it... It hits home with people because it means Alexi Laws, he's played on national team. He has credibility of sorts. So I think that's that's why that uh, it's hit home for many people. I think I think Alexi Lawless said this to make – I think he, he went a little deeper than he – but he made a statement to show that the people – uh, you know, uh, the American fan base doesn't have that big of a voice when it comes to these massive media markets, especially in the sports industry, that are concerned about the national team. That I don't think some of these players, I don't think they understand that how, you know, what they're doing and how vital they are to the growth of soccer. It would be a complete disaster if they don't qualify for the World Cup. You're talking about something that could hinder the growth of this sport for a generation if they don't qualify ne- uh, to Russia next year. That's how big. Right. And then you, you get the sense from these players, you look at them, and it's kind of like they're okay with whatever. You don't see the urgency, you know? And it's who, besides Christian Pulisic, he's just the wonder boy, and he's so talented. But who's stepping up on them? I mean, it's like... The, to them, it's just another game. Sometimes that's you know we're not at the games. We don't talk to the players. But when you are, you know, 
watching on television, it's not like you see a, a true leader. Like, you know, Michael Bradley, he, see, he he wants to be something more rather than just playing the game. He, he tries to, you know, like Alala said, Zen. You know, he tries to <laughs> Zen. do that. But uh, y- y- some comments from the players regarding this. Um, Michael Bradley uh, came out and had some, some words to say. Uh, part of being an athlete, a com- competitor understands that everybody has an opinion, especially in the world, in today's world. Everybody has a platform to fire off a hot take whenever they want. It's life. You're in the wrong business if that throws you off. Also continued saying, one of the most recent sayings that I've been liking to say, the lion doesn't care about the opinion of the sheep. I'll leave it at that. It's pretty fitting. I think Michael Bradley has this all wrong. Because yeah, I don't, like the, I, don't, I don't like the quote choice, though. The quote choice is terrible. Say again. Let's give him a new quote, man. That quote. That quote's pretty. This quote's pretty lame. What's not even that? He completely mess. He completely misses Alalis's point. Exactly. He doesn't understand that he is. Is he not the captain? Is he not wearing the armband? No, he is. Okay, then what the hell is he talking about being a, a lion? If you were a lion, you'd be playing at Real Madrid, Michael Bradley, or you'd be playing at Juventus. Or you'd be playing at one of these massive... You play for Toronto FC. Yeah, you're making a lot of money, bro. That's great. But really? The Lion doesn't care about the sheep? You're an American soccer player. You're fourth in CONCACAF. I don't think you're a Lion. I think you're a sheep at the moment. I don't think Alexi Lawless is a sheep either, to be honest. He's, 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 lived, he's lived through World Cup failures and uh, World Cup successes. Well, Alexi, um, Alexi, yeah, exactly. Alexi, yeah, exactly. Alexi Lawless isn't a sheep. Michael Bradley, you're currently Ex- a sheep because you're fourth place in the in in the hex. I, I, absolutely. Um, my, my thing is with uh, Michael Bradley's quote. I mean, it's a good quote. It's a good, re- re- basically, like it's a good way to address it. I think, but um. It's 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 it's, it's the response you expect. Was he gonna say, "Yeah, I agree with everything you said. We suck." Well, he, he, he could just say, "Yeah, we need to play better." And you know, it, the last two games didn't go to to how we wanted to, and we're gonna come back in October, and we're gonna be ready to fight, and we're we're gonna uh, make make the country proud. That's all he has to say. But really, the sheep and lion thing gets under my skin because it's not like the United States has been good. They've been the same. We repeat this on this show since the inception of this show that the United States is kind of lost or stuck or however you want to put it. And Michael Bradley clearly illustrates that. Yeah, and uh, I've also seen a little criticism on Twitter saying you can't criticize Christian Pulisic. What? Um, he's, 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 what, 18, and you can't criticize him. I don't really agree with that. He's a professional 18. athlete. He's a professional athlete. He gets he's to do the athlete. fun stuff. Yeah, he's a professional athlete. He's uh, playing in Germany. He's playing well. I think he can take some criticism and move on. I mean, he said uh, when someone was asked about it, I heard about it. I'm not going to lose sleep about what Alexi Laws has to say about us. He can stay wherever he wants. I think that's a that's a great response, and I think people shouldn't be so early to defend Pulisic. Even though he is what, he's the best player in the American national team, let's be honest. I think he's not except ex- an exception to criticism. He should be criticized if he plays bad. I don't think anyone should be. Um, I, I don't think I, it's as part of him growing as a player, and it's part of him uh, becoming a better player. Is you know hearing some of Christian and moving on. I, I think Christian Pulisic's uh, response is better than Michael Bradley. I also saw a quote. I'm not reading from Braden here, but uh, Bedoya said something like, "We we need to play better." Is something to the sorts. I'm like that. That's better. But Michael Bradley, the captain of the United States men's national team, is going to say. Oh, we don't pay attention to sheep. I mean, bro, you're you're playing. You you might not even qualify for the World Cup, okay? So don't lecture us on being a lion if if you can't handle your own business. But you know, it is interesting because Michael Bradley did was it a couple years ago? I don't remember. He goes, yeah, you still have to qualify the World Cup, and it's difficult road. What's that say about the national team if it's still difficult? in a region that is so forgiving and when 50% of the hex qualify automatically to the World Cup, what's that say about this area and what's that say about the national team? Well, it says the national team is still 
mediocre of sorts. I mean, we talked about this last show, that they're not the top team and that the teams in CONCACAF are getting better. The national team isn't getting as better as some of these uh, teams in CONCACAF are, like we talked about last episode with a lot of players moving to MLS and improving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it look, looks like those teams are improving a lot. We're improving a little. So that's slowly making up ground. I mean, it shows that we're, medi- we're mediocre and that we do we do struggle at times. I mean, let, let's be honest here. And hopefully we'll see something different in uh, October. For sure. Listeners, check us out on Twitter at Pod. You can follow the one and only Armand Kafai at Kafi Sport. K-A-F-A-I Sport. Yeah, I know how to spell it now. Um, I'm going I'm to change, change it soon, so okay, be on the lookout. Be on the lookout. Change of Twitter handles. Steven Jodron. <laughs> Follow the show. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Comment, share. Got a question for us? Let us know. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.